0: thank you for what we've heard already and i pray that you would use my income of your life-giving love give us ears to hear and bless as we pray this morning amen thank you and I, w- I want to first of all say a huge thank you to caroline and stuart um that was hugely powerful and i i must feel that we could probably go away and pray and worship a bit more and um just dispense with the sermon but um well we've got a sermon and i want to connect similar thoughts to what caroline has shared with with scripture um so yeah and and there's a big part of me that wanted to extend a big virtual hug across to caroline so just to acknowledge that from certainly from me okay I just want to begin really um just just to set the scene and step back a bit with the whole business of this report living in love and faith um, you, you may not have read about it. certainly very few of you i I' imagine will have downloaded it and poured over it because it's a big report. Um, and you're hearing of it kind of third hand perhaps as, as this prompts the series that we've got at church. And just to say, What it does and what it doesn't do, what it doesn't do is give a kind of dot by dot answer to all everybody's questions in the church that they bring to issues of sexuality. It's not a how to guide. It's not the definitive. Now, this is what it means pastorally. This is what it means in the church. The document is not trying to do that. What it does, it outlines principles for how we have the conversation. And and it covers a whole range of perspectives and looks at the history, looks at the scripture, looks at tradition, looks at what's going on in society and some of the science, and just reflects on principles. And that's what we're doing through this series, looking at the pastoral principles that underlie this conversation. So, What we've got today is the pastoral principle of speaking into silence. And before I look at the passages, I want to just share a little bit of kind of my own situatedness, where I am um, kind of historically, how I've uh, journeyed with this issue generally, just as a way to prompt the fact that all of us bring perspectives and histories to to this issue. I I grew up in a conservative evangelical home, a Christian home, and a conservative evangelical church setting. And really, it was only at university that I began to meet people who were gay. I had a good friend who was a Christian who actually came out to me. um, And and it's been a long journey and Caroline intimated her long journey, but more intimate journey with this. And some of us will have had friends, family, some of us very personally may have uh, been impacted by this. Um, some of us work colleagues and whether we've been at a place of kind of grappling with this from outside the church and then have become a Christian and wondered, well, what's all the fuss about? or those of us who are older and more speak in the church, there are different perspectives that we're bringing. And I want to kind of acknowledge that and hold that. And Smee last week talked about the kind of known unknowns and unknown knowns. And just to kind of acknowledge that, well, we come at this with each of our stories. I was listening to the radio yesterday and a very famous musician was talking about producing and recording a piece of music that he's, be, he's played for 40 years or more in his 60s and how different it was. And it, it, his comment on the radio was, well, it, it, it's not that I come at this more doubtful. I just know when I was a young person, I'd play this piece and I was certain about how it should be played. In my 60s now, I come at this differently, not with more doubt, but just knowing how much smaller I am. And I think there's something about this that I would want to say the church needs to recognise, how much smaller we are in our understanding. So let's let's come to uh, the scripture. 1 Corinthians, as, as a letter from Paul to the church, is one of those letters that is wonderfully messy, and gives us a real insight into what was going on in the local church. Not all the letters are like this. Corinthians, 1st Corinthians and 2nd Corinthians are. It's a church that's vibrant, that's diverse, but it's riven with factions. And let's be honest and let's speak this out. It's a church that's struggling with issues of sexuality, with sex. And it's all out there. Paul talks about this stuff. And many of the commentators would say that, um, well, the core of the whole letter is in verse 10. It says in verse 10, I pray that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. The whole of the letter hangs on that. And why should they be united? They should be united because their foundation is the crucifixion of Christ that's what's drawn them together out of all their places it's a a church with people who are who are young and old different ethnicities different categories of society and a radical bringing together of slave and free undermining all of that and paul says what drew you together was the cross of christ be united and the word that's used in terms of that that unity in the greek it's something around put in order that which is in disarray put in order that which is in disarray i don't know whether you noticed um verse 12 there are a whole load of claims that people would use i follow paul i follow apollos and there's one strange one it says someone say i follow christ well what's wrong with that why is paul challenging a group within the church of Corinth that say, I follow Christ. What he's saying here is that there are some that would say, I follow Christ, you don't. And there's a real challenge from Paul here about those exclusive claims in the church. When we or others set ourselves up and say, well, we are the true Christians they aren't. And issues of sexuality, LGBT+, have been and continue to be in the Church of England and in other churches and around the world, one of those touchpoint issues where people are very ready to say, well, my group, we are the ones that follow Christ, they don't, because of X, Y, Z. And actually, the first principle that I want to kind of affirm and ground the talk is to say, first of all, that actually anyone who calls on Jesus as Christ, who has said, look, God in Christ has saved me, is my hope. That's the bottom line. Whatever we may think, whatever we may believe, about issues of sexuality, whether they're gay, straight, queer, trans, if they have claimed Christ as their saviour, then all that is secondary. Now, we can have debates and discussions at another time about what that means for our, our practice and our discipleship, but we need to first and foremost see in the church that diversity that is there. Carolina shared for her in her family that that has been a reality. There are others in the, our church where that's a reality. From my own journeying of not knowing anything, meeting people at university, a friend who came out to me as the first Christian that he'd ever shared with the fact that he was gay and kind of me being flummoxed, saying things and doing things that actually were quite hurtful and losing that friendship out of my own ignorance and wishing I could kind of wind the clock back to now knowing clergy who are gay. And some of us will have had similar experiences. I want us to recognise the face of Christ in those that are different. In their sexuality and experience. If they call on Christ as Saviour, that's that's the church. We are all called cool together. And just to say a little bit about speaking into silence that we've we've heard already. Sex is one of those issues that we don't like talking about generally, do we? Like politics. Um and It's one that causes embarrassment and shame. But let's recognise, let's appreciate that whether we are single, married, elderly, young, on the dating scene or not, we are every one of us sexual beings. It is part of our humanity. God has created us. As sexual beings. So we need to actually have space in safe ways to talk about some of this stuff. The layers of shame and embarrassment that we have, I mean, it's not just but it in our topic today, we're particularly addressing LGBT plus issues, but right across the board, the shame and embarrassment that leads to depression, suicide, leads to abuse. We know that in safeguarding, where people don't talk and don't feel that they can share about what's going on, what's happened to them, what their experiences have been, the potential for abuse is huge. How might we as a church community speak into the silence, acknowledge that each of us are sexual beings? And let's say it straight out whether we're straight gay or otherwise every one of us also has a broken sexuality no one is whole but if we call on christ we're part of his family so let's listen to each other let's ask careful questions and whose voices are at the table or not at the table. Let me finish with Psalm 133, a beautiful psalm about unity. You notice in in that very brief but beautiful psalm that there are some things that are good but not pleasant. I think medicines, are in that category, good, but not pleasant, or going for a run. I know there are some people that love running. I try to run. I think it's good for me, but I don't really like it. Some things are good, but not pleasant. Some things are pleasant, but not good. Let me say that deep fried Mars bars are in that category. Driving a car at hundred miles per hour, thrilling, but probably not good for us. But actually, when God's people come across boundaries of difference, and we've heard wonderful stories in this last year, in response to Black Lives Matter, stories where we've begun, and we've got stuff wrong. And people have shared invulnerability. Issues of sexuality is going to be one of those for the church, where we've got stuff wrong. And come together in unity. That's good. And it's pleasant. And the psalm finishes with that beautiful promise of life and blessing. So, as Caroline encouraged to do, I would encourage you to have some conversations with people in the church, to ask who else might not be in the room in that conversation, so it's not just an echo chamber, and to find and experience God's life and blessing, asking questions, listening around what all this means for us what more we can do, where we need to say sorry, where we need to say, I still don't know. And I'll be honest, I don't really know a whole load of stuff about the ethical practicalities, the stuff that's changing massively quickly. And I don't know, but I'm determined to see Christ in each of us, know that we need to do better. And thank you again. Caroline, and for others, I want to thank the blessing that gay men and women have been to to me in recent years. Let's pray. Thank you for each other. Thank you for each of our stories. Thank you for the gift that is our sexual life. That it's ultimately an expression of desire that ultimately is only fulfilled with you because when your kingdom comes again, when we are in heaven, there'll be none of this but we in the reality of who we are each of us will be united with christ and with each other i pray that we may see the life of christ in one another hear each other's stories with care be blessed and be a blessing in the name of jesus christ who died for us who gives us life. Amen.